You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your headspace, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Still trying to hold up the semi-daily end of our bargain here. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews from jaysfromthecouch.com. I'm back with you after a very full Thanksgiving weekend. I had multiple dinners. I made a cake, as people who are following me on Twitter saw. It was delicious. Still is delicious. Still exists a little bit. So it won't exist long, I will tell you that. Not with two kinds of chocolate and, like, all the bad things and all that. So, yeah. I'm full. I'm recharged. I'm ready to go talk about some Blue Jays. We're going to talk about how the Blue Jays in the postseason are doing. Not the team, but the individual players themselves who have been parceled out throughout the playoff proceedings. And, yeah, we're... We're gonna. That'll take up a lot of time. Just there's a lot of action to get to that we haven't really been talking about. But I want to start with some actual Blue Jays notes. And it was confirmed that Julian Merriweather is officially a Blue Jay now. The player to be named later in the Josh Donaldson trade came over from Cleveland was placed on the 40-man roster. John Birdie was designated for assignment, which that was an easy one. You could see that one coming from a mile away, despite how good John was in the final four games of the season. But yeah, that officially closes the book on the Josh Donaldson era in Toronto. And if you check out jaysfromthecouch.com today, um, our analytics writer, Jeff Quattrasiocchi, uh, released a very detailed look at Merriweather and what the Blue Jays got for Josh Donaldson. And in Jeff's opinion, it's far more than just, you know, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins conspiring with their former team to give them a former MVP. By the way, how'd that work out? We're going to talk about that a little later. We'll talk about how that worked out, but it wasn't great. So, whatever. Jeff went into what Blue Jays fans can expect from Merriweather going forward, when they can expect to see Merriweather. And it's it's actually going to be very interesting how they kind of build this and how it actually will impact their offseason. Because as, as fans knew from Googling Julian Merriweather, as long as they spelled it right, uh, Merriweather is coming off Tommy John surgery. He had that in March of this year. So sideline the entire season potentially could be back in spring training, but there's no real reason for the blue Jays to start rushing him. And this is something that Jeff points out in the piece that the timeline for pitchers returning from Tommy John is anywhere from 11 to 30 months. So theoretically the blue Jays can move Julian Merriweather onto the 60 day DL and say he's rehabbing and be perfectly fine with that. And that would actually free up a roster spot if they want to protect more people from, from being claimed on waivers or, or try and get another arm up to the major leagues to have a look at. So that gives the Blue Jays a little bit of 
positional flexibility moving forward. However, that probably doesn't assuage any fears that this was just a dump. So let's actually talk about what Julian Merriweather can do on the field. And Jeff noted the MLB pipeline report at the end of his 2017 campaign before he had the Tommy John surgery. And it's good. It's it's actually really good. There's a reason Cleveland protected Merriweather and put him on the 40-man roster. Um, Merriweather has a fastball that prior to Tommy John was between 93 to 96 miles an hour. And as a starting pitcher, that's pretty good. I mean, you see all the starting pitchers that are junk throwers, essentially. So he has a good fastball and he can put it wherever he wants. So being able to pinpoint that stuff, he's he's kind of like if Sam Gaviglio was good. (laughs) That's very simple. But... Merriweather has that good fastball. He has a changeup that he also uses. It's an average changeup. And a curveball that's, you know, it, it's a breaking pitch, but it's not that good of a breaking pitch. It's just something to, you know, work off the fastball, which is really the plus pitch for him. And Merriweather was also primarily a starter in the Cleveland organization. He. He's been a starter since 2016, quickly moved through high A, double A, and triple A, was good at, again, striking batters out, using his control, limiting his walks, and essentially kind of kind of following that Maddox school, which relies on, you know, placing the ball where you want to try and get the get the outs the problem he had in 2017 when he was at triple a is that he was just getting knocked out of the park the home runs were a problem for merriweather last year and you can say you can take what into consideration you want to he was pitching in akron it it's you know not a limiting park but it's something that is not as worrying as if he was walking batters or if he was giving up a lot of contact. The fact that he it's a home run thing, that's something that's kind of variable, especially just moving moving in between leagues. So the underlying stats for Merriweather, as Jeff pointed out, are very good. And Merriweather also fits into that category that the Blue Jays seem to be doing, not only just trying to build their rotation, but build their bullpen as well. Because we saw that this year with guys like Taylor Guerrieri and David Polino, starters who were converted to relievers late just to see what they had in in that role. And if the Blue Jays want to continue doing that moving forward, Merriweather's a great candidate for that with that 95 fastball. And if he's able to scale, but if if he's coming back from Tommy John surgery and doesn't have the length that he used to, he can easily transition into that reliever role, use that fastball, put it wherever he wants, alternate with the changeup and curve just to keep hitters off balance, and potentially be a very effective reliever as well for this club. So the Blue Jays acquired a guy who's going to be very versatile in the short term with his injury status and the longer term with his starting and relieving status. And if you want to read the article for yourself, Again, check it out on jaysfromthecouch.com. Jeff's great with the analytics. He's a lot better than me, but he explains it so that I can understand it, which I greatly appreciate, and I think you will as well. So 
We're going to move forward and talk about recent baseball. We're going to talk about Blue Jays currently in the playoffs right after this break. Okay, so Blue Jays' fingerprints were all over the playoffs this year. I believe every team but Atlanta acquired a Blue Jay. And yeah, acquired a Blue Jay this season from the club. The only Atlanta was the only one. Um, Los Angeles did not use theirs, as we found out. John Axford, who suffered that injury late in the season, he's heading back to Hamilton, taking a road trip from Oakland. So, Ax always a great follow on social media, detailing his his journey there. So that's his postseason contribution. Honestly, I'm I'm all for it. I I like seeing Axe and seeing his thoughts on things. So I'm I'm happy to, you know, just kind of listen along with him as he travels through America. So sadly, uh, Colorado got knocked out, which means that's the end of Sung Juano's season. And oh, was a big part of that win for Colorado that extra inning win over Chicago in the wild card game. O pitched an inning in two thirds, walked a couple batters, but struck out one and didn't allow any runs, which is the important thing. So heading into the series against Milwaukee, you thought you'd be one of their main arms to try and neutralize them. And it did not work out that way. doesn't help when your team cannot score any runs whatsoever. Colorado scored two runs in three games. That's a That's a joke. So just, just really tough from an offensive standpoint for the Rockies. And pitching-wise, it, it went rough. O got into a couple games, pitched an inning in a third total, gave up two runs. The big, the big game was... Uh, was that second game? Where it was one nothing for the longest time, and then O came in and... And was not able to quell the uprising after Harrison Musgrave walked a batter. You you would think Sung Hwan Oh would have experience coming in with runners on, given what he did for the Blue Jays this season. But he, he just did not have it. He was wild in that second game. And it was really disappointing. Because, again, Sung Hwan Oh, one of my favorite players since he came over from South Korea. You know, when you have a nickname like the Final Boss, you are easily going to appeal to someone like me and it, it was a disappointing end of this season but you know oh with a with a clear bounce back performance from his 2017 campaign made texas look really foolish for nullifying his contract i mean toronto got a really good haul for him at the deadline getting uh baker and wall and spanberger for him while could be on the 40-man roster very soon. Not not as likely that position players get taken in the Rule 5, but still, he could make his way on there. But yeah, I was I was very happy for someone to have that kind of bounce-back season. And and he, he had his moment against Chicago. That team had its moment against Chicago, which is nice. But Milwaukee's going to move on. And Milwaukee is not bereft of Blue Jays either. So... You know, if you're rooting for someone to get a ring, 
you can do no better than Curtis Granderson there. Curtis got into two games as a pinch hitter during that Colorado series, did not get a hit. But, you know, you have Curtis Granderson because of your clubhouse presence there. Um, Potentially the bigger story, actually, for the Blue Jays, as it pertains to Milwaukee, is the run of catcher Eric Kratz, who... Uh, older Blue Jays fans may not remember, he did play for Toronto in 2014. He got into 34 games, was just another in a run of backup catchers who couldn't really hit. Uh, He batted 198 in 34 games, had three home runs. Um, Kratz is very much the definition of that journeyman, minor league catcher who's still hanging around in the game, just trying to do whatever he can to stick around. He... uh, he he bounced around again. He's he's on his like, oh, what is it like seventh franchise in five years? I I want to say, yeah, seventh franchise since the start of 2014. Went Toronto, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Houston, Pittsburgh, New York, now Milwaukee this year, where he he got a late call up and and settled into that backup catching role when Jet Bandy was jettisoned, but. Kratz is enjoying his moment in in the playoffs. He he started two games, went five for eight. So he's batting 625 in the series. Had a pair of RBIs. And you know, that that's the kind of story you like to see emerge in the playoffs. He's it, it's similar to Tony Walters when he was in the the wildcard game. The, these Backup catchers, these guys who you don't expect a lot from, just coming in and all of a sudden getting the job done. I think it's why Luke Maley was so appealing earlier this season, just because, he, again, that backup guy just coming in and managing to do stuff. So it it's fun to see stories like that. And again, for a guy like Kratz, who hasn't tasted a lot of success, has just been kind of clinging on. I've seen... Him compared to like Crash Davis from Bull Durham. Is that guy kind of getting up there? I I could see him as uh, kind of Jake Taylor for the new generation, I guess. Jake Taylor from Major League. I I enjoy Major League more than Bull Durham. I'm I'm sorry. That's uh, don't don't come at me for that take. But no, it's just it's just another fun story in a postseason that that's kind of had a lot hanging over it. But see, seeing guys like Kratz step up on, on that level guys like, like Keon Broxton, who didn't get a lot to do in the, in the season guy guys kind of overshadowed during the season, just getting to kind of step up and, and make their presence felt that's, that's what the postseason's all about. It's why Dave Roberts is famous. It's why Christian Cologne is famous. So, that, that's how the Blue Jays are doing in the National League. We're actually going to look at the American League situation, the only league that's still active right after this break. So, yeah, we looked at the National League last segment and found a Blue Jay I, I don't think people remembered and can root for. Uh, going forward, I, I will not be rooting for Milwaukee. I'm, I'm supporting L.A. now. You know, get John Axford a ring. You, either way, I guess it, it it'll it'll work out. But no, um, 
the American League was the more attractive league, I guess, for for baseball reasons, just because of the caliber of talent, wasn't on display in the Houston-Cleveland series because Houston just thoroughly dominated Cleveland in that one. Just uh, it, you you felt for Cleveland a little bit because now all they have left is the Browns because the Cavaliers are not going to be any good, but that Cleveland baseball team just could not find its bats outside of Francisco Lindor. Lindor was able to do things, but no one else could. And that extends to the Blue Jays who were on that Cleveland roster. Melky Cabrera, let's lead off with him. He had one hit in three games. He wasn't very good. Batted 125. And he misplayed a ball that really broke open that game on Saturday in the six after Andrew Miller came in and just was completely ineffective. Just at, at was a very inopportune time to be able to muff a ball like that. So just a bad performance all around for Melky Cabrera. Jan Gomez. I'm or Jan Gomes, sorry. He was alright at the plate. Went two for eight, was solid behind the plate, just was not able to call a kind of game, and his pitchers were not executing. But Jan is is still upper tier for those catchers now, so he acquitted himself all right. Edwin Encarnacion, I'm I'm sorry, Edwin, just he looked completely overmatched in this series. He could not do anything against those Astros pitchers. Went one for ten pair walks just look foolish at times could not get anything going in those positions where he had opportunities to drive in runs and he actually was not the worst former Blue Jays batting average in that series because Josh Donaldson won one for 11 with an 091 batting average he did not look good not not playing defense not at the plate just I don't know if he was pressing too much or just, you know, try to make that last push to earn a contract in the offseason, but it was not good. Like, as we said at the top, that Julian Merriweather acquisition looks fair market value now for what Donaldson actually gave Cleveland in his time there. And with the qualifying offer being set at $17.9 million this year, Donaldson wouldn't have wouldn't qualify for it now because he was traded, but if the Blue Jays actually kept him and extended that to try and get the compensatory pick, Donaldson definitely would have accepted it. He would have been playing for 18 million, he would have been on that payroll for that, and I think it would have just been more acrimonious a relationship there and I don't think they could have traded him. So, for what Josh Donaldson did, I you know, you wish him the best. You you hope things are all right for him and he gets a contract in the offseason, but he's definitely not going to get $18 million. He's He's going to be looking at something maybe like $10 million, if that. So, I don't know. He he will, will take his opportunities and, and be 
a significant factor for a team next year could be in Philadelphia. Um, just because they, they seem to be tired of Michael Franco. So Philly could be an option there. Could could return to Cleveland if they want to keep Jose Ramirez at second. There there are some options for him, but it just did, he did not acquit himself well in this series. No one on Cleveland really did, which which was part of the reason why Houston rolled as well as they did. Houston has one former Blue Jay. We're not going to talk about them. Sorry, just not not going to do it. I hope the winner of the other series does things to him. So, yeah, that's how that is. So let's talk about that other series since it's the only one still active. Boston and the Yankees. And from the Yankees' perspective, the Blue Jay acquisition that they made did not perform at all. Jay Happ looked bad. He only lasted two-plus innings in his Game 1 start. Gave up all five runs to the Red Sox. Yankees almost came back because that Red Sox bullpen is bad. But just Hap looked ineffective. He was not able to you know, fool anyone or put anything by any of the Red Sox batters, which, you know, there's a reason the Red Sox won 108 games this year, but it, it just looked like he, he had nothing for them. And he was acquired to be good against Boston. This is a specific reason J-Hap was acquired and just could not do anything. That, that home run to J.D. Martinez in the first inning was just a brutal strike to give up in the in the first frame of the series, like that, that's setting the entire tone right there. And Hab just wasn't able to work around it. Now it was made worse when Chad Green came in in the third inning of that, of that game, could not strand any of the runners. So Hap got dinged for both runs, but it, it still was a disappointing performance. Now, does that help the Blue Jays? Maybe it does, because maybe that means that he's more likely to come back to Toronto if Yankees fans are just booing him off the field the way they booed the entire team, essentially. Yankees fans are so uppity, like, in in the stadium. Like, we expect our team to win. Well, then you're not a fan of, of the team. You're a fan of winning. You're a fan of just that, that kind of feeling, so just find another bandwagon to hop on. Why why are you why are you the way you are Yankees fans? I don't understand it. Like booing your own team just kind of baffles me a bit. As, unless, you know, personal things happen. There there is a person that should be booed that only gets booed when he plays badly, which kind of defeats the purpose, but whatever. Anyway, Boston for its part it got contributions from its former Blue Jay, that being first baseman, outfielder, sleeve wearer, Steve Pierce. Pierce is two for seven heading into tonight's game. A pair of RBIs. He's he's played passable defense at first base when he's been in there. And you know, he's been that kind of energy shot, I I guess. Working in tandem which, with Mitch Moreland, he's 
been very flexible at first base as people have seen through highlights this year. And again, he's, he's been that perfect complement to Mitch Moreland, something that Hanley Ramirez wasn't going to be in Boston. It's why Hanley got cut. But Pierce has been able to come in off the bench, you know, still deliver those at bats if needed, play the first base defense that Hanley would have provided at a, and he's doing it at a fraction of the cost. And Boston just seems more comfortable and more in control. I mean, granted, Boston out here getting cycles during the playoffs. Brock Holt hitting the first cycle in playoffs history, which is amazing. He had to connect off the backup catcher to do it, but Brock Holt did it because that's what Brock Holt does. You just you know that that ever-present thorn in the side. But yeah, it it's it's interesting just to see how much of an influence the Blue Jays have had on this postseason. And, and it does give fans a variety of choice. We, we talked about this earlier uh, in the season, but the Blue Jays are, are spoiled a bit if they want to root for one player to go forward and kind of carry the torch for this team. And it's still there. And whether you're rooting for Steve Pierce or Curtis Granderson or Eric Kratz or John Axford, you know, it's it's nice to still have that kind of connection, I guess, to the playoffs. It does keep you going a little bit, aside from, you know, the great baseball that's on offer. So that's where we're going to end today's episode. We'll, we'll end with that final thought on the Blue Jays wrap-up. Follow me on Twitter at NeoAC18. That's NeoAC18. Haven't been tweeting as much lately. Been, like I said, a lot of personal stuff going on holidays, all that fun stuff, y'all know. So follow me on there. Get some baseball takes as I offer them. Follow the podcast at Locked on Jays. Subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get fine podcasts like this one. Make sure you're subscribed to it. And check out the writing at jaysfromthecouch.com. Like like I said, Jeff Quattrocioki put that excellent article up today. I, I urge y'all to read it and get your Julian Merriweather knowledge into you and the high lows have already started on there so uh the writers there including myself are going to be recapping every player that played a played a significant role for the blue jays this season so be sure to be on the lookout for that but yeah for everyone here at the locked on podcast network at locked on jays at jays from the i've been ryan andrews thank you all so much for listening to today's episode and y'all take care